Hello everyone, my name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Every other Monday, we are with you talking about the biggest news in Joshi, along with show reviews, previews, and much, much more. So if you're new to Joshi or you've been a longtime fan, this is the show for you. We've got something for everyone here. So check us out, Jumping Bomb Audio. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Thunder Buddies and Travelers Down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, your gumshoe detective on Thunder Road, and joining me is my partner in crime. It's Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you this week? I'm very good, pal. Um, looking forward to uh, another great episode of Days of Thunder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just putting us over huge before we I'm- put... Come here, listen, if we can't put ourselves over, we're not going to put anybody else over. No one else is, that's for sure. That's for damn sure. I'm damn sure we're not doing the job, so. No, God, no. <laughs> we lay down for absolutely no podcasts. That won't work for us, brother. It's always been known. Always <laughs> been known. Um, Yeah, how, how's your week been, my friend? Um, Good, good. Yeah, listen, it's January, it's New Year. It's a... Yeah, it's a very, I, to borrow the phrase from Red Letter Media, it's a very fuck you, it's January, January this year. <laughs> that's, um, a, that's a pretty apt description, yeah. There's a whole lot of nothing going on. Um, and like people, I, I feel like just kind of, um, like anecdotally, people are really getting that blue January feeling this year more than like the last couple of years. Like everybody seems like just head down, Let's just fucking get through January. Um, Which, I mean, I'm not feeling like that at all. I think it's, it's just, you know, the days are passing. Is, it, is this like the one month of the year that you're not like cantankerous old like? Possibly, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you refuel at the start of January and you just run out of patience for everyone for the whole rest of the year by February. <laughs> it probably also helps that I, I'm off work next week, so. That'll do it. That'll do it. Good, I'm a good way I, to start the year, I think. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a half day tomorrow as we're recording this. I'm going to go see John Mulaney, uh live in Dublin. Oh, uh, nice. It's my first. It's my first comedy gig since COVID, um, and my first time back in the Olympia, which is my favorite 
uh, live venue in Dublin since just, COVID. So I'm excited just, for that. I was just going to say, at least he's not playing a huge venue. Yeah, I, I don't really dig the massive arenas for comedy. Um, You know, like the, the 10,000 seater plus. Don't get it. Don't, it's not like comedy is an intimate like I know it's still like about a 2,000 person venue but like if you've ever seen the Olympia Theatre in Dublin like it is a proper kind of intimate space it's mm-hmm. really good some of the best gigs I've ever been to in my life were there um, but um, I, I've been doing in the build up to that it's like it's not had a tremendously exciting week now I will say business really picked up this morning as I found 50 euro on the ground at the train station oh nice yeah, and I did. Uh, I can only assume you handed it into the police. And well, I did the. I did the two, the the two things to wash my conscience clean. I I waited around for several minutes until the next train left to make sure nobody doubled back to get it. Then I alerted us because I look. I know what people are like, and um, myself included. So I went up to the staff member at the train station. And I didn't say I found fifty euro. I said I found a sum of money here is my number if anybody contacts you saying they lost it. Because, like, there's a very good chance that the man I was talking to would be like, oh, that was mine. Yeah, exactly. Or he'd go, yeah, I'll look after that for you, buddy. Fumph, into the pocket. So about a day now has passed um, and haven't received word. So I think I'm in the clear, conscience-wise, I mean, on that I, one. I think with that 50 euro found, you really should yeah. subscribe to patreon.com forward slash WCW Thunderpod. Uh, I certainly do subscribe at largemanappears.com. Um, now that would be because I have creator access to it. <laughs> I'd be really doing myself out of it because essentially then I'd be subscribing to pay tax because I would be getting the money back, well, half the money back. And then like we just be, I, I would be making a net loss on that because yeah, we wouldn't even I, be getting the whole fiver back. I'd be making a gain though. So that that's... Yeah, I guess you would. I guess you would. Well, you look. You know, it's paying in dividends. You're getting, um, you're getting some nice new audio equipment. I did uh, I, on I the way. Some, I know it's, it's arrived. I'm using it right oh, now. Oh, are you? Ooh, you got your new. Um, what are they called? Shield for your mic. Audio. What was it? It's a, a portable, portable vocal boot. I believe is the technical yes. term. Yes, to kind of drown out any surrounding noises. Unfortunately, um, it doesn't drown out the noise of myself. But yeah, <laughs> I still like next time. Uh, I was saying, I was saying to you, next time I think we'll get you one of the nice directional mics that like I have um, when your your mic packs it in. But this will definitely do the job in the meantime. I um, um, I, I had to get my lovely wife to collect it from the post office for me. Oh God! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> So I just was, remembered why this is funny. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a phone call today. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I picked up that package for you. I was like, all right, okay. What is it? And she's like, oh, it's from Amazon. I was like, uh, oh, oh, cool. I was like, that, yeah, it's the thing I'm expecting. All right, uh, why does it say Staggerly Malone on it? <laughs> I was like, does it? <laughs> I had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I was like, I was like in the office in work. I was like, look, it's a nickname. I'll explain it to you later. <laughs> she's like, can you tell me now? I was like, no, there's people I had around. That's a favorite brother. <laughs> <laughs> so if I start getting funny looks off the post, well, sorry, funnier looks off the post woman. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, 
myself and friend of the show and uh, cast and the furious co-host Jack Lazelle have a running bit where we send when we send each other things it's with increasingly ridiculous names so like he's definitely sent me stuff to like the Reverend Dave Ryan uh, I I made him full on he had to go to the sorting office once to collect a package in the name of Jack Mr. Chelsea Lazelle um, the one I wasn't I sent him a Christmas present and I, I picked a name and I really wanted to send it under this but it was too long for the, the postage label because I had typed out Jack and then in inverted commas John Terry did absolutely nothing wrong Lazelle <laughs> Um, sadly for him, that didn't work out. No, well, I mean, um, Jack has had his own troubles with regards to John Terry. So yeah, haven't we all? Um, from time to time. Um, I was on a track there to tell you about how boring my week was. Um, I have spent. Um, do you ever have those shows that are like it? It's definitely like a six out of ten show, but you can stick it on for like mindless binging or you used to kind of watch it while you were falling asleep on TV at night kind of thing. Yeah, it's called You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of po- oh, Voices of Podcast Network. Oh my God. Here he is. Look, he's taking a big triumphant sip out of his mug now. <laughs> absolutely loving it. Um, it's actually, do you know what? It's funny because it is related to You've Got to Be Kidding Me because it's Garrett's fault that I started re-watching this show, but I have uh, started binging because it's on Disney Plus, Criminal Minds. Okay, you're like the third person that said this to me. My like, my, my my wife loves Criminal Minds and mm. start started rewatching it about I'd say it's about two or three weeks before Christmas. Yeah, it only just landed, I think, like October, November. Mm. On Disney Plus and they did like a reboot series last year. That's right. She watched that, yeah. Yeah. So like it's one of the I'm not look, it's gonna sound like I'm starting to defend this show, right? But, like, there's a soft spot in my heart for the cop procedural. Because there's, like, they're, like, a, a f- like a familiar pair of shoes. Like, because they all have the same structure. Mm. They're all tight little one-hour stories. If you miss an episode, it doesn't fucking matter. There's very rarely, a, like, an overarching season theme. And I think Criminal Minds, like, not saying it does it better than everything else, but I think, like, I really like a lot of the cast on it. And I think... Um, like the first two seasons, the only my only crib with the casting on it is that I wish I wish Mandy Patinkin never left the show because Mandy Patinkin is just a fantastic actor, um, and I think he was great on it. That was the original uh, team leader. What, uh, what was his SSA name? Jason Gideon? Yes, yes, Gideon. Yes, um, um, who is also known as Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride, um, and Saul Berenson in Homeland. Uh, but I just think he's a, a fantastic actor, um, and I thought he was great in it. Um, but then, then they replaced him with um, the guy who does the voice of Fat Tony in The Simpsons. Yeah. And he's just doing the Fat Tony voice, because right, it's Ross, his voice. Rusty's great. Yeah. Oh, look, he's great. Um, but the show is just like, every hour just kind of whips by, and... Um, because it's on Disney Plus, like it's all so bingeable, and you occasionally get a like a a somebody who isn't typically like going to play a serial killer on a TV show, and they're really playing against type, and it's it's really fun. Mm. Um, so like the one that I I had to like I couldn't stop laughing at was um Jason Alexander, aka George Costanza from Seinfeld. Oh, I was Shh. seeing the Jason Alexander one. 
he shows up in an episode as this guy looks like fucking Colonel Sanders, <laughs> but with longer hair. And like he's uh, he's professing to have achieved like the perfect serial kill and stuff like that. They all have to figure it out. And he's just like, you know, doing all these weird expressions, like really hamming it up. There's one where like um, Luke Perry is uh, like a cult leader, like a Branch Davidian style. I've definitely seen kinda. that one, yeah. Yeah, um, there's one where James Vanderbeek, Dawson of Dawson's mm. Creek, is like a split personality serial killer. So you get like some entertaining stuff like that. But again, it's like it, it doesn't rise above like a six, maybe a seven out of ten on the very best episodes. I also think because because it's like serial killer and murder and stuff, it, it's very varied. Yeah, so like and yeah. that that's the thing with the Criminal Minds thing because they don't have a home base. It's not. CSI yeah. X place it's like they can be any place in America and it's yeah. like they can just kind of go from place to place yeah. funnily enough like they kind of they started that show like in the peak of CSI mm. and like we're still around going strong when CSI kind of faded into yeah. the background but what's really funny is that like and I never spotted this whenever I'd be on and I just have it on in the background on TV um is there's a lot of barbs thrown in at like different cop shows if you're oh, paying there? close enough attention. Okay. There's one where um there's one where they literally talk about crime scene investigators and it's like, oh, they always ruin crime scenes. They think they're cops, but they're just scientists. Stick to the lab. <laughs> they just move on. Like there was Fair no enough. reason to say it. Like they were just trying to stick the shoe in on CSI. Um it just reminded me very much of like the whatever wwe or aew people take just a shot like, yeah take a shot like i could just imagine the csi and criminal mind stands going crazy on twitter if it had been around at the time um, well well seeing as we're talking about classic tv shows yeah and um, something i learned today is that we're, they're doing a fraser reboot they are without david hyde pierce though oh i didn't realize that oh do you not know who's i uh, do th- nicholas you do. yes nicholas that's how I, that's how i learned of it yeah A.K.A. Rodney from Only Fools and Horses is going to be one of the leads in the Frasier reboot. Um, ah, look, I'm. we've all been burned before, so I won't hold out much hope. But I will say another thing that happened to me because of Gary Kidney is that last year I rewatched all of Frasier. Mm. And genuinely, in the top five comedic characters in the history of television, Frasier Crane. Yeah, oh, it's great. Uh, like, uh, as a kid, like a teenager... I thought it was a great show. Now, I haven't gone back to revisit it in full, but I do watch Lee. episodes here to there. It's, it's still so good. Yeah, I can imagine it's even better and as it, an adult. And it doesn't dip. Like, there's no bad season of Frasier. Mm. There's, like, a couple of not-as-good episodes, and there's a couple of times where they kind of sort of repeat the same premise. But, like, it's such a consistently strong show for so long. I would, like... You should get that... Uh, I think they do, like, every so often, Paramount Plus does the free month. Hey, you should definitely get the free month and just binge some Frasier. Maybe do that with your week off. Hey, listen, I have I have access to everything that ever existed. That's all I'll say. You can purchase it mm-hmm. uh, at a certain point. Hey, hard left turn. Hulk Hogan's a Scientologist. Good for Scientology. <laughs> did, did you see this? Yes, like literally, I, I literally a saw of, a couple of minutes ago. Couple of minutes before we got online, this was like I think the original tweet about it was a few days ago, but it kind of just burst into the wrestling bubble tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what? Like, 
I think the like it's very it's all very funny and uh, do you know they deserve each other Scientology and the Hulkster um, and I do I have enjoyed the tweets that have varied from talking about how like uh, he's going to be the first person ever like thrown out of the church for being too annoying uh, or he's going to like politic his way into actually being the deity of Scientology being, being the god yeah, yeah he'll supplant L. Ron Hubbard um, but the thing that I remarked on is just like wrestlers are so notorious for being one bad with money and two like thick. A lot of the very successful wrestlers, you when you hear them like actually try to you know like speak out about current events, it's like oh my god, this dude's a fucking idiot. And you would wonder how it took this long for Scientology to snare one of these guys as a money mark. Um, I'm, try- I'm trying to think of people that would have made it massively like big money. It, is he the first prominent wrestling Scientologist? I can't I, think of any others. I can't think of any others. Yeah. And there are like, look, Hogan is Hogan and he's definitely dumb in a lot of ways, but he's definitely not in a lot of other ways. He wouldn't have been, if you said to me, what legendary wrestler was dumb enough to get pulled into Scientology never would have said the Hulkster like well no I would have gotten to him eventually but he was never the first name I was going to say I, 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 is Hulk working a grift here is he working them he's, just he's as, always working a grift just whether he much, knows it or not just as much as they're working him do you think he's working something yeah, yeah perhaps he, he's working himself into a cult brother <laughs> Um, final thing I I wanted to say um before we start the the kind of the thunder review is um as we are recording this I had I, last night I finished and at the moment you are progressing through your match of the year top ten that's for one, Voices of Wrestling that's one way but man you haven't started it no, at all I haven't, yet, have you no, you're an absolute mess. <laughs> I will say it's going to be easier for you next year if you keep up with the spreadsheet because yeah, it made it very easy for me. Look, I, I, I have in my head 15 to 20 matches that I absolutely yeah. will be considering and it's just what order I decide to put them in. Yeah, I think I changed up the order a little bit. Like I didn't just go, I did at first like sort my spreadsheet by star rating mm. at the time. And then I kind of took a few out because I was like, oh, do you know, on rewatch, maybe I dock that a little bit or it's something that I think there were matches that were less technically excellent that were more memorable. You know what I mean? Um. So I'm I'm quite happy with my, my 10. It was, um, it was quite, um, I think it was quite difficult to decide what 9 and 10 were. I think there were, like, I had a good maybe 8 or 10 more matches that I easily could have put on a list. Um, So deciding the last two. But I think, like, I've probably never had an easier number one uh, on this show. Um, I will say, I, I won't get too much into detail on it because I think... One, the the match of the year articles are going to start dropping and I'd like it if people could go in there and, and see what we thought. But also for for patrons uh, over at largemanappears.com, you and I are going to publish our top 10 lists and what we wrote about the matches uh, if we did write entries um, to go along with the matches themselves. Um, so I, I will say you're not going to write a word, are you? You're, just, you're already shaking your head like... 
<laughs> it's like right words about wrestling matches. Uh, I doesn't sound I, like me. It's a long time, so yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it, it it doesn't feel like that long ago though that you were an actual wrestling reviewer. Um, yeah, <laughs> it feels what, like a long time ago. <laughs> once you talk to the audio medium and you're like, oh my god, just spitting off the top of my dome. As uh, way easier. It's way uh, way easier and more fun to get heat over audio than written yeah. reviews. Um so I'll publish what I wrote and we'll both publish our lists. Mm-hmm. But um I I suppose I will the one thing I will say is my number one, um, with a bullet, which I don't think anybody who has talked to me about wrestling will be massively surprised by this year is that my number one was uh MJF and CM Punk dog collar match. Um yeah, uh, not. It, 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 on, yeah. It, it's definitely in the running for me. Yeah, I, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rabbit off exactly what I said, but like in terms of what I want from pro wrestling, because there are like, there were matches that were again better wrestled. Mm. You know, like if I was gonna go on pure just bell to bell, you'd be putting stuff like uh, Shingo and Okada, um, a lot of the big Danielson matches from this year. Uh, up really high and not to say that none of those are on my list but um, just as a piece of cohesive storytelling going into the match spectacle on the night of the match and then delivering what I think was a really fucking good really fucking brutal wrestling match that del- the rare wrestling match on American TV um, or pay-per-view that delivers on the stip you know this is something that modern wrestling really struggles with is we're announcing a stip the stip is supposed to generate interest but very seldom do do you get something that lives up to the promise of the stip you know even like i think back to that infamous barbed wire match which was living up to it for 80 percent until the piss fireworks went off um for example i still think that match is it's a great match phenomenal it's such it's so disappointing that just last like 90 seconds um but the thing is like the the 90 seconds are after the match is over it's not even part of the match the match itself is fucking spectacular yeah yeah yeah. there was that one moment where there's a bump out to the side of the ring that's a little bit of an underwhelming explosion but it's not the end of the world um but anyway yeah that's that that's my top 10 in in kind of thinking about ruminating about before you actually get to writing um how how are you feeling about it do you think it was like a particularly good year that it's going to be hard to narrow it down to 10 are there people in your head you can already see are going to be like there's going to be a lot of one guy or the other guy on your list uh, i think there's going to be a lot of ftr Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of John Moxley, yeah, and uh, more than likely a lot of Will Osprey. Mm. Um, I will have to think of what order I'm going to put certain matches. Yeah. I will absolutely have the two dog collar matches will both be on my list. Um, yeah, oh, the dog collar's back, baby, one hundred percent. Um. Yeah. Yeah, they'd be the top three acts that I think will definitely be on at least twice. Yeah. And after that, it'll be how I'm feeling at at that moment. Yeah. But uh, as far as I know, submissions close this Sunday. Yes, they do. So I will probably give my list in sometime on Sunday afternoon. 
Yeah, I, yeah. And I think once you send that to me, I think the day that the articles stop dro- start dropping on um, Voices of Wrestling, we'll publish our full lists. Yeah. Uh, we might, what we might do is we might publish the actual lists without any context or anything I've written, just like two JPEGs of the lists on the Twitter. And mm-hmm. then if you want more detail, come to Patreon. I think that's probably how I'll do it. But um, we'll see. Uh, anyway, we get into it, buddy. Let's do it. This is Thunder, episode 64, from Charleston, South Carolina, 27th of May, 1999. It's a 2.9 rating. Um, I find it very funny. I was listening to an episode of the Deadlock podcast this week, and um, even several years after the acquisition, the invasion, and the gradual erosion of Raw's rating. I think 2003, 2004, I was listening to them talk about uh, on Raw and it was still doing ratings slightly higher than Thunder was in 1999. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a whole thing. Uh, these numbers are going to be very, I'm very glad we started um, adding these these numbers because it's going to be interesting to see the direction in which they go um, and, over the coming months. And how quickly we go in that direction. Yeah, we're we're actually rapidly approaching some some big arrivals. Um, there is one on this show. There's like a lot of harbingers of the death rattle era of WCW starting over the next few months. Yeah. And and there's one arrival that I actually forgot about, but as the show progressed, I was like, oh yeah, that person's yeah. coming. Um. I have two who debut on Nitro flagged up for episodes of Night- Nights of Nitro that we won't miss. Um, but something I, I, I had I had toyed with doing in the back of my head was to keep on the show like a running countdown. How many shows we are away from Russo. <laughs> God. <laughs> Please don't do that. Because I have a number. I know. And it is like it, it is going to be by the end of 2023, we're going to be in the Vince Russo era. Um, because it is less than six months. It's actually about five months in 1999 time away. So about ten months of podcasting away. Um, great way to spend our Christmas. We're getting there. Oh, we're getting there. Um, and, oh God, we're gonna be in December. Yeah, we can talk about Vince Russo. Yeah, yeah. Oh. The most festive, festive topic of all. Um, it's funny, much like us setting up the uh, the call tonight before we recorded, uh, we got a technical difficulties disclaimer at the start of mm-hmm. Thunder, um, which usually happens when there's like satellite outs or something like that. We've had a, we've had like a couple of matches where there's some freezing and some jump cuts and st- stuff like this. But this is the first one where, and we'll mention it when it happens, is like we pretty much lost half a match yeah. because of the technical difficulties. And it seemed to be the only technical difficulty that happened. And given the match that was happening, there's every possibility that someone deliberately kicked out a cable uh, so it wouldn't get broadcast. I, I look, think this is, this is somebody's recording and they just flipped over to fucking Nash Bridges or whatever on the other channel. Yeah. Do you remember that? Like, oh, the kids today, Lee. The kids today don't understand that if you were like recording something on video and you change the channel, you, you, could not you would be recording. Yeah. 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 Uh, listen, kids have no idea. They have no idea, Lee. No idea at all. Um, 
we get a nitro flashback of Savage. Uh, this is the last two nitros of Savage. He's out of control, Lee. He's going crazy. Um, and it was scored to some incredibly aggressive 90s house music. Yeah, well, um, that, that, that's what Macho was all about. It's like, imagine any movie from 1999 where there's a scene in a nightclub. That was the mu- that was the music. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, have you seen a Guy Ritchie movie? You've heard this yeah. music. Yeah. Have you seen a an anti-video piracy ad? It's that music. <laughs> um, oh, actually, speaking of anti-piracy. Okay. Um, have you? What s- about what? What about Paul Virtual? <laughs> That's a different type of piracy. Um, we we all know within wrestling, the the anti-piracy company was always Progress. Yeah. Well, did you know that Progress, ICW, and WXW are getting sacked off the network? I did see this as being discontinued in like a I mean, day or two. Been, it'll have been discontinued by the time that we log on. Yeah. But Vince isn't back. No, no, no. no. Definitely no, definitely not his no. decision. No, definitely not. Definitely not. He's absolutely going to be running creative by the time this show drops. <laughs> he is running creative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Tanae says, this is, this is a great segue. Tanae says there's an uneasy feeling in the building. Um... As the leader of the Madness Search and Destroy mission is on his way to Thunder. Uh, Tanae says Rick Steiner has also challenged Sting to a cage match at the Astrodome next week. And the challenge was accepted. It's a pretty big Nitro. Hang on. The, the biggest news there is they're running the fucking Astrodome for Nitro. Yeah. For Nitro. Not for the pay-per-view. They've probably sold it out and it, like well, done a pretty fucking hefty advance. Because tickets were probably bought up long before the uh, the creative turned to shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it would have been like, what, a few months ago mm-hmm. the tickets would have got on sale, which is before the real turn of the screw. Um, So as well as very much the afterthought in the things that have happened since last you watched Thunder, they talk about how apparently Hugh Morris came out in the middle of a cruiserweight battle royal and killed all of them. Yep. Because he's, um, he's having a feud with the cruisers. What's interesting is I wrote down, well, I'm sure that won't come up again, jokingly. And it didn't. No, they told it us didn't. about it. What, what, it. what more do you want? Yeah. No, I thought, right, okay, they're laying the seeds that as soon as they're, because there's a couple of cruiserweight matches on this show. I was like, oh, he's coming out and he's murdering them. No. Nope. Nowhere to be fucking seen. He was mentioned by Jimmy Hart later in the show. But not as a, he's been doing all this shit to the cruiserweights. Just, like, mentioned as part of the first family. Um, I just thought that was wild. Because usually this is the, this part of the show at the start where we meet Tanae and we meet Larry. Is, these are the things you need to be aware of. Because these are the things that are coming up or are going to be discussed at length on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, nothing. Not a replay. No sight of humorous. But hey, nothing. The, the less humorous we get, the better. Yeah. Uh, we open straight away with a singles match, and that pits my boy Lash LaRue versus Kaz Hayashi. You sk- hang on, you skipped over something else very important that they, they uh, talked about. Oh, go for it. The four horsemen are in disarray. Yes, and we do actually get to see that later, is that there appears to be a split in the horsemen. Mm. Um, I suppose they had been together for a few months, so it was time to split them up again straight away. Um, but I did feel like since they've really doubled down on the maniacal flair president thing, that Benoit and Malenko feel like who who were great as faces. 
and then yeah. had to be healed because reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they should have done it straight away after the double turn in the cage. Mm-hmm. Just like, it, it just makes no sense that they've, they've really, to me anyway, they've really cooled off. They have, yeah. Now, um, they, they, look, we know they heat back up. Well, yeah, one of them does anyway. Yeah. Um, and there's obviously going to be a new faction fairly soon involving mm-hmm. Benoit Malenko. Um, yes. Which that that was the when they start talking about the dissension of the horseman. That was when it went off my head. Con, oh yeah, Shane Douglas is about to come in. Yes, he is, and we do have a Knights of Nitro for the arrival of the franchise. What? Yes. Oh, I've booked it. Oh, God. Because there's one. He's one, right? Shane Douglas is one of these guys who I am fascinated, almost more than anybody, will talk about probably to reevaluate his run. Why? Because I I remember this guy is all over TV. But he's all over TV at a time where, like, I think Jarrett, when he arrives later in the year, is all over TV as well and is much more obnoxious and less welcome. And I wonder, not to the extent that we had a turnaround on Raven, are we going to at least enjoy that Shane Douglas is doing the obnoxious heel bit but he is pretty much slotted in the mid card so it's kind of grand that way much like i'm also the other stuff from the bad era of night of nitro and thunder i'm excited to look back on is um fucking lance storm and the boys oh yeah. team canada we've always talked about that yeah I'm looking forward to to reevaluating them um and what is the other one Oh, there was one I had in my head there. Oh, yeah. Even though I know exactly where it goes, I'm interested to see without the kind of like trying to think back about it. How quickly did they fuck up Mike Awesome? Pretty quickly. But <laughs> um, yeah. Now, look, yeah, I agree. Um, I think Douglas, I, I don't know that a rewatch is going to be any kinder to him than anyone would have been at the time. Um, he quick, pretty quickly goes from faction leader to New Blood. To yeah. whatever fucking followed that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Shane, Shane Douglas does nothing for me. Hmm. I don't think his work has ever necessarily done anything for me. But I think like as a kind of... Like a, a it, venom it, spitting mid-card heel. I think he... I think he... I, 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 you know, I don't have any problem with him. A, a mouthpiece for Saturn, Malenko and Benoit? Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but anyway... Uh, the Raging Cajun, Lash LaRue, uh, has now invested a little bit of money in getting a T-shirt made and uh, I think slightly better gear as well. So it's not quite like, he's not quite reinvented the wheel with his gear, but he's gotten rid of the incredibly basic, just plain red tights and he's added like some black to it. And like, there, it, it doesn't look like his first pair of wrestling school tights anymore. So like he's slowly getting there. Um, I, I have we'll, to, I have to ask, do you still have that T-shirt in your wardrobe? <laughs> if only, That's, there is a, there has been a lot of temptation to try and source a Lashley T-shirt just to pop you uh, on the show, or mm. when I eventually do get my hair cut off to keep in some sideburns, um, again just to pop you and then shave them off immediately. Um, 
I mean, all, all I'm saying is Lash, Lash works weddings. I mean, look, I'm just putting it out there. Well, look, if I'm going to book uh, a wrestling personality from WCW uh, for my wedding, it's going to be Father James Mitchell to do like some Iron Maiden or something like that. <laughs> like that's 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 the one you book. Let's all be honest with each other. You, like, you might even get some of that good uh, Patreon money off guard for that one. Yeah, just like again, if you do like if you do a football related one, you got to book DJ Pat Nevin to do the music at your at your wedding. Like it's just it's it's what you've got to do. Um, pa- but in pa- in spite of the, I like that you're saying that Pat Nevin, who was probably finished as a footballer before you were born. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But I I know him as Meme DJ Pat Nevin. Um. Yeah, we we love Kaz in spite of the the glacier entrance mm-hmm. gear. Um, that is a bad fit, literally and metaphorically. Um, I was kind of happy to see these guys get a get a few minutes to do some razzling. I think this is a good guy to put Lash against while he's still getting miles on the clock. Um, Kaz, at his age, is already so pretty experienced. So yeah, so experienced, so buttery smooth. Mm. Um, can work with anybody. Can work any style. Uh, didn't like how this. Uh, match started off with a rare gaffe from uh, Mike Tanay who describes this match as and I quote crawdads versus sushi and that is your is that racist moment of the night Um, I all signs point to yes if you ask me I'm pretty sure Larry said it before him and he was just parroting what Larry said Larry had a thing about how it was uh, he was talking about how they like eat fish and stuff down in the bayou and then, like, something about, of course, Kaz Hayashi would be no stranger to fish himself. Like, it was just the most kind of um, meandering into racist territory, uh, like, tangent you've heard in quite a while on this show. Um, All I have to ask is, where is it on the MJF scale <laughs> of racism towards a wrestler? Well, MJF is at a, at a, at a zero uh, when you actually add context and stop thinking like a dolt about it. That is true. Um, whereas this actually was like an, I wouldn't say like deliberately I, I wouldn't say, trying to be racist. I don't line. think it was malicious what you were saying. I think it's, what is the, the turn of phrase that, that would that would have been used back in the day would have been racially insensitive. Yes. Like I definitely think it's ignorant and insensitive and like, um, where I don't, I wouldn't for a second think Mike Tanay was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna stick the shoe in on the Japanese on this show. I don't think he was thinking that at all. But um, Im- images of Pearl Harbor running through his mind, like it certainly and- was an ill thought out attempt at a riff on what Larry said. And because it's 1999, I don't think either one of them thought for a single no, second. One hundred percent. Yeah. Um. I didn't like, speaking of commentary while we're on it, I didn't like how this was definitely one of those nights where they had an edict from whoever it was, Nash, Bischoff, one of the other hundred cooks um, backstage, uh, to just constantly be talking about the likes of Randy Savage all night. Like, just, there's very little focus on the wrestling for most of this night. Um, And I think, there were some matches where it's like I couldn't blame them for tuning out, but I think this was one where I just felt a bit let down by the commentary. Yeah, it was it was very heavy handed with regards to the uh, the 
the upcoming pay per view main events. Like it was just it yeah. was it was pretty much all savage. Again, the sec- second where, week in a row, like to the point where in the middle of the match they cut backstage as he's kicking in locker rooms door, locker room doors, and for a moment I was like, you thought it was oh that my moment. god. I thought it was send for the man. Send for the man. No, it's not. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not. It must be soon. It must be as part of this whole thing. I'm pretty sure that's a nitro, but yeah, it is. It, it, yeah. It's, it's around this time. It has to be. Like, it, I, I, I thought we were getting like an inadvertent historical moment. Shout out, Matthew. But is, um, is it in send for the man when somebody corpses and he gets Yeah, really it's Tory. Tory yeah, yeah. corpses, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um... So, um, they're off point much as we are. Um, and, oh yeah, the one thing that we did see, we didn't see Sen for the man, but we did see Disco sitting nonchalantly in an eye patch, uh, yeah, well, hanging I mean, out with you, Scotty Riggs. With Scotty Riggs. Well, of course you'd be wearing an eye patch when you're with Scotty Riggs. It's, yeah, it's the only way he'll address you. Um. <laughs> do, do you think if that's like, um... You know, like one of those kind of serenity circles where you can only speak when you're holding the the, the conch, the like, speaking stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think it's like the the pirate, the the eye patch. Yeah, yeah. That now now that's head cannon for yeah. me. Absolutely, that's what it is. Um, Larry Larry describes when they get back to the ring. Uh, Larry describes Savage as. And I quote, emotionally upset. That is that is certainly one way to put how Randy Savage has been the last two weeks. Um, do, do you think if, uh, Savage had like a mood bracelet? Mood bracelets were big in the 90s, David. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, they were. What what color do you think Randy Savage's mood bracelet would have been on this episode? I don't think he was. I don't think he was a mood bracelet guy. I think he would have been an ankle bracelet guy. Remember that was a big thing as well. Oh yeah, of course. The fucking episode of Friends all about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think uh, like if he had a mood bracelet, that thing like melts off his arm. Yeah, well, I was going to say. I, I think Gorgeous George could have got him into a into a mood bracelet. Mm. Yeah, she seems she has that kind of like into new agey stuff vibe. Mm. Um, like always lighting incense around the apartment, kind of. Do, do you think that the the Savage's mood bracelet would have been either more or less purple than Shane McMahon cutting a promo on SmackDown? Would it have been? Uh, would the mood bracelet turned out to have just been a Slim Jim tied around his wrist? A Slim Jim sponsored mood bracelet would be. Uh... Oh, look! I tell you, there's money left on the table with that. Absolutely. What's your mood? Hungry. <laughs> and to say, what's your mood? Not hungry anymore. <laughs> Here you go. Um, the crowd starts booing Kaz. Kaz is doing like uh playing heel here, mm-hmm. and you can tell because he's got stubble. Lee. Um, I don't know if you know. Booing... I don't know if you notice this, Dave. Kaz actually good looking guy. Good looking guy. Uh, he does a suplex flow over into like an inverted full Nelson of sorts. Mm-hmm. I think they just maybe fucked it a little what they were trying to do, and that's just what they settled they, on. They just rolled with it, yeah. And that's when I realized they're not just booing Kaz because for the first time, and think now of some of the absolute tripe we've been served up on this show over the years. And this is the first time on Thunder that I can recall ever hearing a you both suck chant. Yeah, I, I thought it took me a second. I was like, surely they're not chanting that. And I had yeah. to kind of turn up the volume. I was like, oh, no, I felt so bad for them. Poor, I so because it wasn't a bad match. It was just a match and it was completely competent and 
they did fine compared yeah. to some of like you say Vincent has wrestled multiple times yeah on yeah. our show Steve oh and I'm looking at I'm looking at the match that's coming up next and I was like the fucking gall of you people I was, like, I was gonna say Stevie Ray put me to sleep yeah four times was it <laughs> numerous times um yeah the, the the two people in the next match like how wait Mike, till Stevie Ray's on commentary you're gonna be borderline narcoleptic I don't know if I'll last that long. You'll, I'll tell you what, you will you will sleep so gracefully. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, the guys keep wrestling away for a couple of minutes. They do a struggle spot up the top, which I thought was good. Uh, Kaz knocks down Lash, goes for a dive, but LaRue hits a mid-air dropkick on him, which I thought was a little bit awkward. I think he mistimed it a little and mm-hmm. may have caught him a bit too flush with the dropkick. Um, Lash gets up on the top rope. He gets crushed. Uh, he does a standing suplex off the ropes to him. Uh, Kaz sets him, goes up top, hits a senton splash for the win. Like you said, Lee, perfectly serviceable opener. Done no favours by... I would have to imagine with how quickly the crowd turned on the match and when they did, that they must have cut to the Savage thing. And then when they cut back to the ring and he didn't come out, they yeah. were like, fuck it. Fuck it. Get these guys out of the ring, get the real stars out. Yeah. Um, well, they got the real stars next, Lee, as we have Van Hammer versus the returning. I suppose Van Hammer is returning as well, but the returning Prince Ikea, the flat pack sovereign himself, uh, our inaugural uh, martial arts division champion, as I recall. Um, God almighty, this is a matchup made in the pits of despair. To, to quote uh, that wonderful artist Stain, Stained. He is a stain. Um, it's been a while. It has been a while. Um, and uh, nobody missed Ikea. Uh, certainly not the music department. Uh, because he has no tunes coming out here. Well, he didn't uh, the last time he was getting He a push. didn't, but now that he's back again in a company where conservatively 45 people are doing the no music bit at the moment, it it stands stark that he's like the biggest geek to have no music. Yeah, but he's doing the no music bit with no boots. <laughs> no shoes, no shoes, no music, no service. It, that that's like Yeah, that is him. Um, um, and now Van Hammer is a baddie again because and you know how because he hates peace, hates it. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of peace myself. He's got a well. He he's a he is a fucking piece. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, he's got his dungarees that have something about like anti peace or no peace or something like that written on it. Fucking stupid. Um, he's got a leather jacket, so you know he's a bad guy. He's a leather daddy now, yeah. Yeah, he just reminded me of the um, the, the just in terms of ill-fitting leather jacket stakes, it reminds me of maybe the greatest cameo of all time when Michael Sarah shows up in Twin Peaks. If you have not seen that one scene where he shows up in Twin Peaks and I have absolutely no idea what accent or character he is going for in that, but he's fucking swinging for the fences. That's just what uh, Van Hammer's get-up here reminded me of. Um, this is just a fucking dreadful match. Um, I, I bet you're this, excited that Van Hammer's getting another push. Oh, absolutely. This is also, it's funny, the last time we, I look back, the last time we saw Prince Ikea was 
two months ago on Thunder. Feels a lot longer. 1999 time. When Vampiro beat the snot out of him. Oh, yeah. Uh, not decisively enough, as you recall, we complained mm. at the time. Uh, whereas they gave Van Hammer the complete one-sided squash here, which they should have given to Vampiro. Maybe, um, maybe they got confused with their V V letter wrestlers. Maybe. This is one time, though, I am very happy that they decided to cut away in this match to something completely different. Because, Lee, something happens towards the end of this match. And I lost my shit. Because I knew this person was coming to WCW. We all knew it. I did not realise it was this soon. Because the camera cuts to the crowd. And in the crowd watching this match is Tank Abbott. I mean, I hope you was well paid to sit through this show. I imagine if we were to, if you think about how much fucking Michael Buffer was paid, I imagine it would upset you enormously to learn how well paid Tank Abbott was. I don't know. For these. He, he, I don't think he was paid as well as Buffer. I think, I think, but I think he was paid more than somebody who just sat by watching a shit match should get. I, I'd like to hope that uh, Tank Abbott was well re, re uh, compensated. Now, one th- one thing I will say relative to his compensation is that ultimately, in his run in World Championship Wrestling, Tank Abbott puts in orders of magnitude more effort than Michael Buffer ever did. That is true. He actually wrestles, if you can call it that. He ha- he gets in the ring and matches happen. He dances more than Wilfer. Yes, he he does angles. He cuts promos. Like he doesn't just come in and say some absolutely bland shit he said a hundred thousand times before that for some reason people want to pay him fortunes to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote Van wins the match with a Cobra Cut Slam, but that is not important. Tank Abbott's here. Yeah, that's pretty pretty spot on. Yeah, uh, Nitro flashback and uh, Randy Savage has a message for Kevin Nash uh, and we get like I thought this was just the angle from two weeks ago until uh, I think it was Tony on commentary said it's happening again where they Savage and the women beat down Nash and cover him in lipstick again I think I think that was Tony just having a next essential crisis going oh fuck it's happening again yeah 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 it's I I can't blame Tony at this stage. And it, there's ent- it's entirely possible that someone accidentally printed out like a page out of the previous week's Nitro script and they all thought they were supposed to do the same angle again. Um, just couldn't put that past well, them. I mean, Kevin Nash is a genius booker, so... Uh, now we've got uh, Randy Savage and the, the women are out to talk to Mean Gene. We need to talk about Gene Okerlund. Yeah. That was my big takeaway from this segment. If if Gene Okerlund, right, conducted himself in this manner, if this interview happened in 2023, he would quite simply have gone to prison. <laughs> well, Twitter prison, anyway. To borrow a phrase from our good friend Garrett, go to jail. <laughs> that is all I could think of when this was happening. Um, so... So if he gets uncomfortably close, like, but even even the start of this segment where he says he's here with Macho Man Randy Savage, 
and then he introduces the women and it feels like for each one of the women like the lewdness of how he says their name gets cranked up about 20 percent <laughs> culminating gorgeous george like the way he says gorgeous george i was like that man has just climaxed in his own moderately priced suit um yeah it, it's it's very your uncle fucking meeting the, the the son's new girlfriend kind of thing like it's it's very creepy yeah. like just yeah, yeah. oh it's cross full creepy uncle yeah. um like like i say like personal space does not exist yeah he is um, right up in their their space so savage like it's a very disappointing promo from savage because he, he doesn't really say anything it's kind of rambly and not in the fun way that Savage promos are sometimes rambly. It's basically just he takes about a minute to say he's going to beat up Kevin Nash. Yeah. It's about it. We And here's the thing. We don't actually know why these two are feuding. No, he's just real mad at him. Um, he doesn't even seem that interested in the belt. No. Like, last month it was him and Flair to get reinstated. And for some reason, Savage had this thing with DDP where he yeah. kept saving the title for him. Yeah. Now Nash is champion in spite yeah. of Savage's best fucking efforts. And yeah. it's just, okay, Savage is number one contender. I, I think we're going to get a lot more of that kind of thing where it's just, hey, person X is here. They're doing thing Y. Why are they doing thing Y? I don't know. Yeah. They just fucking are. They just, yeah, they just are, and that's it. Yeah. Um, now, this is where Gene was already creepy, and this is where he, like, went into another gear with it, because he says, and I'm I'm almost quoting verbatim here, where when he, he's done talking to Savage, he turns around to the women, and he says something to the effect of, when there's beautiful women around, I have to do some sampling. That's, yeah, pretty close to exactly what he says. That's fucking haunting. <laughs> haunting turn of phrase. Fucking hell. Yep. Um, and then, as you say, like, describe the way, like, so he's basically going and asking the three of them who their favorite wrestler is. And they all say, Macho Man. They do. Now, granted, it takes, it, it's, it's a struggle for Gorgeous George who forgets where the microphone is and just wanders off a couple of times. You don't actually hear her say it properly. But please describe Gene Okerlund during this process. Like, he starts off with Medusa and Medusa is just constantly backing away from him and he's and he's just like, oh, no, no, come here, come here, come closer. He, he, he also gets the least uncomfortably close to her because she is the one with the highest chance of being able to, like, actually beat the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. I think all three of them handily would, but Medusa is the one who looks like she would be the most eager to beat him up. Yes, Medusa is the one that could fucking, you know, play it off the Bischoff as, yeah, like, she'd get away with it. Whereas yeah. the other two may not. Uh, yeah. yeah, like, he, he, he moves from Medusa onto... Miss Madness. Yeah. And is like fucking right there, like just in her face. Yeah. And then he gets the gorgeous George. And without even looking at him, you just know he's leering at her. And it's it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. He is like by the time he gets to George, he is like he's basically on top of her. Yeah. 
and like I can't complain too much about like I said she's walking away from the microphone when mm-hmm. she says Savage's name because and she, like, she, she, she trying to kind power of, walk away she just kind of like points at, at Savage yeah now here's the thing we all know the stories Randy Savage is an incredibly jealous man yeah to the point that people couldn't even joke about like you know things with Elizabeth or or Gorgeous George or whatever yeah. the case may be, and like the whole all the stories of locking Elizabeth in the dressing room, blah blah blah, blah all that mm. stuff. Mean Jean does not give a fuck. Mean Jean, I think, think, fancied being murdered on live TV that night, or he thought he'd get away with. It. Yeah, he definitely shouldn't have. Like I said, go to fucking jail. Yes. It's horrible. I felt so uncomfortable watching this. This is genuinely the first time I've watched. Like I've ha- I've had complaints about Gene throughout our run. He's yeah. not always the fucking the best person to interview somebody. Yeah, and most of the time, like when you see stuff like him interacting with women, it's the kind of like it's the eye rolly, cringy, chauvinist stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, it there's a line where it goes from that into like outright like how at the time was this not considered creepy? Because yeah. boy, howdy is my skin crawling watching this now. Um, but yeah. And look, I know it's probably what mid spring two thousand when Gene is basically replaced, isn't it? Yeah. Um. By a succession of like. Scott Hudson, Pamela Paulshock. Pamela Paulshock is the one I remember because she was the first yeah. kind of female interviewer in WCW since, yeah. since probably Missy Hyatt or, um, mm. so yeah, that 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 was the one I was. Also, thinking. she's the one like with all due respect to Scott Hudson, I think Pamela Paulshock is the one who actually at least seemed to show enthusiasm for her job, whereas like Scott Hudson was like, oh, this is just another thing I'm doing. Yeah, well, I mean, he'd been called from Saturday night to Nitro to then be interviewer to fucking yeah. do it all at, at one point mm. in 2000 but you'll still get Gene the odd time that's, what I, was, like he's, that's what I was trying to remember does he stick because, around well yeah because he's famously the person that goes off on the natural born thrillers that's right do you remember when he fucking yes. completely gives up now he might have been benched right after and because of that I don't know doesn't seem like the kind of company that really gave too much of a shit about that but I think it was just like maybe it was pay-per-views or maybe it was just big shows they'd bring him in for or he just didn't fancy fucking traveling every week. I don't know. Like I he, guess we'll find out. He was definitely on the last night, drove. Yeah. Because didn't he do an interview with Flair where Flair calls yeah. out Sting for the main event that night? Yeah, I believe so. So he, he was definitely there for that. So maybe he He's was... around and under contract, but he yeah. might just get iced on and off. Possibly. Um... Where were we at now? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, so we get a Saturday night tease. We're going to have Hugh Morris, David Flair, uh, Rey Mysterio. Excuse me, sir. You skipped over the best oh. ad of the show. Okay. It's a WCW smash and slam wrestling figures. Oh, I must have completely dissociated during this. I don't remember this at all. Man, Brian Myers is going to be so hot at you for this. I know. Yeah, definitely. Of the two of us, he's going to beef with me. <laughs> I've nothing but good things to say about 
I'll pull up that MP3, sir. <laughs> Don't you worry. I, I, I could, have I, that. To be fair, I couldn't even finish it. Um, <laughs> yes, the, the the WCW Smash and Slam wrestlers look pretty good. The Goldberg, Sting, Nash. Did you have any um, WCW figures growing I up? I didn't. I did. Cut. I think I maybe, I maybe talked about it on the show before that my very first wrestling figures were a knockoff DDP and Raven. We did. You, do you remember it? You tell us that. Um, Connor actually has more now than I would have had. Yeah. My, my wrestling figure thing was a very quick. Like I was about eight, maybe nine. Uh, Literally, like for I, about six or eight months, I was super into it. I'm sitting on the couch and I have a current Bret Hart, well, yeah. a Neville, or sorry, not a Neville, pack, yeah, and a John Moxie just over out of reach. <laughs> um, and then right in front of me, there's a set of IKEA drawers, tree drawers, all yeah. rammed full of wrestling figures. I maybe had a bit. 10 or 12 over that like less than a year I was probably into it and like my thing that I would do is I had like a raw ring mm. and um, I would get my because I just got my Game Boy Color and I got a Game Boy camera and what I would do is I would use the Game Boy camera to take stills of matches I would work this, yeah yeah um, so that like that was kind of like yeah, I was basically fantasy booking as a kid because the other thing I would do when I got No Mercy is that me and my cousin, who was around the same age as me, a little younger, would make like basically programs to pay-per-views that we would make in No Mercy, like make physical programs mm. for them, like explaining the booking behind each angle and, and things like that in it. Um, so that was, I very quickly moved from the figures into that, like the the No Mercy and... um. WCW NWO Revenge and and, and things like and, that. And you like, very, very quickly joined the board after that. <laughs> yeah, I think that like the problem when I got into the figures was the only wrestling game I'd ever played to that point was WWF Attitude, not, and that game is horseshit. Not a good game. Even at the time, that wasn't a good game. Do you know something I didn't re- like? I I it I had like memory hold it, and it wasn't until I went back to it years later that I was like, "Man, fucking Shane McMahon was on commentary on that game." Yes, that's was, right. It, was it Shane and Jerry Lawler? I think so. It wasn't Jr. Anyway, no. Um, that's fucking awful. I must not fucking awful. Was not attitude. You had to do like a two or three different button combination. To hit no, it was yeah. It was like Street Fighter. Yeah. It was like you had to do proper button combinations to do moves like, um, and like it's one of those things. I, I I just I know I sound like one of those kind of people, but if you go back and play No Mercy or WCW NW Revenge, fucking still slaps. Yeah. It fucking still feels really good. I've been pl- I was playing it a whole bunch on my Steam Deck over Christmas and it still rules. I know we've you know, and listeners have inquired about the past, like how would we do a series on wrestling video games and stuff like that and i always thought there is something to that idea of like getting the two of us beside each other playing games because like there are some that maybe you would have played that i never touched but there's definitely going to be a lot over the years that like i would have played extensively and you wouldn't have Mm -hmm. a breeze about as well um i don't know if i'm sold on ever doing that I, i certainly wouldn't make them podcastings i might make them like video specials if ever you and i see each other in physical form ever again <laughs> we've done but, a, we've done a great job of avoiding each other for a long time 
Hey, mate, I it, it, that it blame is entirely I'm putting at your feet. I'm a busy man, Dave. Cap- yeah, man. yeah, 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 yeah. Fucking scratching your hole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I was what I was gonna say was that um, instead of like playing through a bunch of video games, like I would actually be very tempted, like go on stream some night, like when we do a live stream where mm. we're just bullshitting away and just like live stream me playing one of the wrestling games i actually like like revenge or no mercy now that i can do that through the steam deck yeah i'd be i'd be very tempted to do that like i don't think i want to go through like a whole series doing it not right now like maybe when we start getting to like late 99 early 2000 wcw i might be looking for anything but that to talk about so uh we'll, we'll see we'll see we'll see um Yes, Saturday night. Uh, Hugh Morris, David Flair, Rey Mysterio, and the main event of Kurt Hennig versus Conan, which I could swear we've seen at least four or five times. Um, well, you better get ready to see a lot more of it, Dave. I know. Because right? the next segment lets us know. Yeah. Well, not quite the next segment, but uh, coming up, yes. If, if, you, it, if you aren't aware, rap is crap. Oh, we're I looked up. We're only like a month and a half yeah. away from that music video. It's coming. Yeah. Uh, which means we're like less than a month away from official the official naming of the West Texas Rednecks. Yes. And we all, haven't been referred to as such. I think it's a couple of segments from now, but they do a Conan recap. No, it's his entrance, isn't it, on this show? Yes. Yeah. It's before his match with Kenny Chaos. Conan drops a uh, Filthy Animals reference. He does, I did, and I will get to it, but I, I did write that down as well. Um, but first, we have to get through the cat versus Sonny Ono. The cat versus Sonny Ono? Sorry, the cat versus Vampiro. <laughs> the cat had Sonny Ono in his corner. This is just, I'm, I'm getting thunderbrain, man. Um, so the cat lays out his open challenge as usual. One thing I like is we're edging like really weirdly slowly towards Vampiro getting a push in this company. Because now we're getting... Vampiro's getting a proper entrance. He is getting... All the pyro. The entire pyro budget for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he comes in and he just loses. He's still no face paint. Yeah. still not. He's still not looking like a misfit. No. And he's still fucking losing. Yeah, so he's gone from winning matches to now losing matches. Yeah. But even when he was winning, like we were saying, he should have been winning matches decisively and he wasn't. And now he's losing quick matches. I was like, I, I just don't know. It's like every every segment we see him in, it's like, oh, they finally see it and they're finally doing something with him. Nope. Nope. Well, <laughs> we will say he's now dropped L Vampiro. It's just Vampiro. Yes, just Vampiro. Another bit of progress. So, Sonny acts like he wants to bribe Vamp at the start of the match, but he's just creating a distraction for the cat to strike. Well, um, you should say the cat started this segment by coming out and challenging Scott Norton to come yes, out and fight him. That's true. Um, obviously, Scott Norton's not there, so he, he throws out the open challenge, which Vamp answers. Yeah. Um, but yeah. also, Sonny Ono um, intimidates one David Penzer until he announces the cat as the King of Soul. The King of Soul, yeah. Also teasing something. Well, teasing something that they never actually tell you was going to happen. And then it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One thing I noted about this match is the crowd are really getting into Vampiro. I'm telling you, 
he's over since he got in. And it's funny because a guy who, like, in my head, I think of him as a heel his whole run. No, he was very in WCW. Over. It's like he's he's really over. I remember like, again. He's he's one of the ones. Like he's not like he's not getting Goldberg reactions. No, you know what no, I mean. No. But it's like we're past the point of is there something here in a babyface vampire run? And now it's like yeah, there there's absolutely something here, and they never go. For he's it. one of the ones I remember from watching at the time, and like pre the Misfits coming in, like I remember being mad into Vampiro because again. He just had that unique look and feel. Yeah. And I love... Well, I, I just love the manoeuvre anyway. The nail in the coffin is a great fucking... A great version of the Hoovy driver. The, the Yeah. Whatever you want to call it. Um, Again, love that there was two people in the same company using the same finish. With different mm. names. I, I actually yeah. enjoy... I think that's good. I think that kind yeah. of helps with a move. Like has people that utilise it differently. It gets it over. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you can have, like, two people in the company. Like, say, for example, in AEW at the moment, even though he's uh, he's on gardening leave, Andrade uses the hammerlock DDT, uh, Moxley uses the double arm DDT, and it's there's no, like, it doesn't take away from either man. Uh, it just, it's restoring us to the time where a fucking DDT was a devastating maneuver. And you haven't seen it, but Garcia has now started using an elevated DDT. Oh, an an education, an education, that... if you will. Yes. Um. Yeah. He he started now using. You're fucking disgusted. I made that comparison. Oh, yeah. or is it you? Just you couldn't just go with an elevated DDT. <laughs> it was a uh, oh, what? Yeah, Gangrel just called it an elevated DDT, didn't he? Uh, no, it was the Impaler DDT. The Impaler. That's what it was. Yes, yeah, much yeah. better name than the Education. Yeah, yeah. As a man who again extensively watched Shotgun and Metal. Uh, around the turn of the millennium, I can tell you damn well uh, what Gangrel called his DDT. What what was that? Just shitty submission that he used for a while. Um, was the educator? There were there was the educator. God, there was another one. I was again. I was from Deadlock. We're talking about it. He had another. I'm gonna look it up. There was like a couple of edge puns. Well, there was the edge o um, That was the the. It was the edge. That's the, the one that chair. No, that's the. the was that the edge? Like the the falling behind fucking into into the pin. He pulls them down from oh. behind. Like pulls them down by their head. Christian fucking stole it from him. And did it better. Like everything Christian does. <laughs> there was somebody. Um, there was like, did you see that thing that was going around and it was like a picture of an x-ray of a really stressed, fa- fractured back and it's like, what wrestler um, got this uh, from carrying the biggest weight in a match and somebody quote, actually was it you? No, it what, seems like you. It sounds like something I do, but no, it wasn't me. It was like, the, the quote tweet was Edge, his or Christian, his entire tag run with Edge. Fair. I very much thought of you. Uh, I'm trying to find his... Uh, I can't believe I'm at Edge's pro wrestling wikia page now. Um, there was the educator, the edgematic, the education. I don't know. There's none that stick out to me as been. Ah, uh, yeah, they don't. Um, hold on. Education educator. Oh God, he remember he had one called. When he came back, called the anti venom. No, it was his submission hold. It was a standing arm triangle. 
Like Kager did. I, don't, I guess. A standing arm triangle. Yeah. Good God. <laughs> you thought MMA taker was bad. Yeah. Fucking MMA edge. God, I'm on a real kind of fucking... I'm on a... I'm in a real dark... Help me out of this. Talk about this match some more. Um. Oh, he had the winning edge as well. What? <laughs> Which is a ha- his half Nelson Bulldog. Do you remember that? Ah, that was just a shitty fucking transitional move. Yeah, that but didn't it was caught. It, it did, yeah. Is this like one of these Michael Cole? Oh, he's got the fucking decide effect. <laughs> Has he got him? No, he never gets him. <laughs> but um, all is not well for Vampiro getting back onto this match because even though we think okay look they're finally going to go with him describe the, the semi-pathetic manner in which he doesn't win this match Um, I actually genuinely can't remember I know Sunyano oh gets God. involved yeah, it's the classic Sonny Ono finish where Vampiro gets whipped into the ropes and Sonny oh, Ono yeah, gets up and roundhouse kicks him yeah, in the back. Yeah, knee in the back or whatever it was. And then he kind of runs into a really pathetic looking feliner and loses. A really bad looking feliner. Yeah. Um, it's very, very disappointing. Um, well, speaking of disappointing, Dave, before we, go to, oh, before we go to the next segment. Is this about something that was said on commentary during this match? No. Oh, because I am starting to notice this. We mentioned it a couple of shows ago. The creeping in of insider terms into WCW programming on the regular oh, basis, which I... was something we attributed. I think we all attributed our rose-tinted glasses to the Russo era, but it is fair to point out that this is absolutely happening right now, mm-hmm. once before the man gets his hands on the company. Um, In the middle of this, they are talking about... Benoit Malenko turning on Flair on Nitro. Yes. And Tanay says that Malenko was shooting. That's right, he did. And I felt just this feeling in the pit of my stomach. Whereas just like I not only was that so cringy. So forced. So forced. But I know Mike Tanay didn't want to say that. No. And he had to. Yeah. Anyway. Y- y- uh, we, y- you just know that was written on his format sheet. Get this over. Um, we then get Benoit crashing Flair's office. Yes, we do. Um, yeah, so for whatever reason, DDP and Flair are just chilling in Flair's office. And Benoit comes in, tells Flair that he's always been self-serving. And that he's always just looked out for himself, and now himself and Malenko are kind of sick of it. Mm-hmm. And DDP kind of jumps up and hits Benoit from behind, and Flair does nothing, and just kind of—I can't remember exactly what he says, but it's something along the lines of you know Benoit brought this on himself. Yeah, and that's the end of that segment. Um, and then we have what I'm sure was your favorite segment of the whole night, and that's Brian Nobbs with me and Gene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> WCW is missing missing one thing, thingly, and it's nasty. 
Well, if it's nasty, it has to be Brian Nobbs because God knows that yeah. man is fucking horrendously nasty. Um, he's uh, he said it's been hard, he's been hardcore since before it was cool. I don't know. I just felt like Brian Nobbs was just shouting words in this promo. Yeah, like yeah, it was bad. Just loud, like fucking what the uh, the anchor man bit, just brick shouting loud noises. Yeah, he's uh, he's just doing a shouty eighties promo. Yeah, no substance. Um, he's 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 in the hardcore division. He's challenging Bam Bam. Jimmy Hart comes out, says, "Hey, I'm reforming the first family," which must be the third time since we started the podcast that he's reformed the first family. Um, yeah, it's him, Hugh Morris, and Barb, and asks what he'd like in, and he says, "I want to be as nasty as I want to be, but I have to think about it." Dreadful. Mm-hmm. Get hyped. Um, yeah. We got a flashback to Nitro, another one. Um, and this time it's Flair. Like, were they doing, like, why are they doing this storyline? Who thinks that they we still want to see Flair versus Piper? Rick Flair, Roddy Piper, Kevin, yeah, Kevin like, Nash it, wants to keep them away from everybody else. Yeah, in my experience, what Ric Flair wants in modern, like in the kind of last few years of WCW is seldom what he gets. So I have a feeling that he didn't want it and that's why he got it. I Um, don't know if you've noticed this pattern, but when any, we'll say NWO adjacent people have power in the creative department, Rick Flair tends to feud with Rick Flair guys. Yeah. Whether it's Sting, Arn, now the other horseman. It's like he's in his own little pocket universe. Yeah. To stop him from going mad and quitting. Pe- people talk about the Cody verse. Yeah. Th- this was like the very first the, e- the very first example, yeah. Um yeah, he's just he takes out takes out Piper. Starts screaming who's the boss now, Adam. And Piper does a segment backstage where he's like taped up and he lays he lays out or he accepts the challenge of Ric Flair for the paper. I think he accepts the challenge for the paper. Accepted it. Don't care. Next segment. Kurt Hennig does not like rap music. Damn right too. Conan came out and attacked him on Nitro. So yes, we are heading to rap is crap territory soon. Full music video breakdown, I'm sure, when the time comes. Uh, singles match Conan versus your boy Robbie Royd's best friend Kenny Chaos Um, you mentioned earlier on he cuts a promo where he thanks Kidman Ray and also Nash for having his back and he says they're just young filthy animals out for blood and it makes me wonder was there an early version of this stable where Nash was considered the leader to be part just to be even to be like a part of it obviously it's Kevin Nash so he wouldn't be a subordinate I'm, but... I'm pretty sure Nash was filthy animals adjacent up until a certain point yeah uh, it's just interesting that that like he's mentioned right alongside two guys who would firmly be part of that faction like, uh, so I'm uh, wondering uh, if at this stage is it a, a force uh, a four man band I'm kind of thing I'm pretty sure he is without being like Without being explicitly said, he is definitely Conan Filthy Animals adjacent for a mm. good portion of the time in the summer. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Um, 
speaking of um No, I got nothing. I'm trying I'm trying my best to come up with some sort of like segue to make us interested in Kenny Chaos, but I have nothing. Kenny Chaos reeks of like, oh we we but we've got Hugh Morris at home. Um <laughs> Like, imagine me going, like, he's like a less interesting Hugh Morris. Like, imagine that. Fucking imagine that. The only thing you can say for him is, like, he's fucking ripped to shreds. And he hopefully hasn't abused any wrestling trainees. Hopefully not. We get a a good, because this is, again, you know how much I'm enjoying a match when I'm just scanning signs in the crowd. And very much characteristic of the two things I was super into in 1999. In the middle of a wrestling match, there was a Pikachu sign in the crowd, which is the first time I've noticed that. So Pokemon Fever has well and truly hit the US if Pikachu is making it onto television, much in the same way Eric Cartman was making it onto TV and the crowd loads on WWF programming. Um, Kind of big, big kind of difference in pokemon and fucking south park it's a yeah it's it's polar opposite real contrast for sure um this match sucks shit it's awful uh for whatever reason kenny chaos goes for a top rope leg drop and misses and conan locks into the key of the sunrise yeah most of the match was wrestled with like kenny chaos on offense and not only do do fans not want to see conan selling but they don't buy it anyway. No. You know, um, yeah, complete waste of time. And then we return from the break in the middle of our next match. Lenny Lane versus Evan Courageous. Um, get another shot of Tank Abbott during this match. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot because, again, half this match is missing because of the technical difficulties. But, like, already would you agree that you can see there's something in Courageous. He's just, like, he's very green. He's very raw. Very, very raw. And But there's definitely something there. There's something there as, you know, being the first wave of kind of American luchador-style wrestler. Like, yeah. if that makes sense, the, the, the kind of power luchador that some American wrestlers would go on to kind of perfect. The, yeah, the progenitor of like the early 2000s super indie yeah, style. Yeah, that, that's what I'm stretching for. Um, definitely something there. And like, look, the guy is fucking ripped. Yeah. Like even even by wrestling standards, he's fucking ridiculously shredded. Um, yeah. So yeah, I absolutely understand why they're, why they're giving this guy a push. Um, yeah. Of all the matches to miss a portion of, I'm glad it's this one because I'm sure we missed out on a ton of gay panic spots. Yes, we are firmly in the Lenny and Lodi era now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering how much they are going to show up on Thunder because we know they are pretty much doing this shtick not only through the end of WCW but into WWA as we have covered. Um, so unfortunately watch this space. Uh, corkscrew splash from courageous for the win the, here the outrageous corkscrew i believe he calls it because mm, he is of course outrageous evan outrageous courageous. evan courageous yeah um nitro ah yes this is the bit where piper is being taped up and he accepts the yeah. challenge of flair then nitro again lex luger is back lex luger. Uh, lex luger and he returns to help sting and then later on the sting monster truck confronts the steiners and i love that there is genuinely a second here where i'm like I think 
Scott Steiner is going to try and fight a monster truck and it would have been one million buys on pay-per-view. <laughs> Do you remember that? The Hulk Hogan uh, fucking giant. Oh, Havoc 95. Yeah, on the top yeah. of uh, Cobo, was it Cobo Hall or oh, Joe, Joe Lewis yeah. Arena. Yeah. Um, I, I just want that now with Scott Steiner taking on a monster truck. Yeah, but not a Scott Steiner monster truck. No, just Scott, Scott Steiner. Steiner the man yeah, versus yeah. a monster truck, 100%. Would he suplex it? I think he'd go for it. Book it, lads. Book it. Um, Sting then came out of the crowd. It was Luger driving the monster truck and Sting came out and called the Steiners in and it doesn't look like they came in. Uh, next up, we have Gene interviewing Tank Abbott, who he describes as, and I quote, the big boy, bad boy brawler. Big from boy, the bad ul- boy brawler. Okay. From the ultimate fighting challenge. Yes, challenge. Um... Branding was a big I, I, issue for UFC back then. This was um, it's an interesting promo because I feel like Tank Abbott, and it's it's very characteristic of how the man's run would go in WCW, where he has an awful lot of confidence on the mic for someone that's very bad at speaking. <laughs> He's so dismissive. Yeah, his promo, like, is spoken with confidence, but it's terrible. Yes. And yeah, this is the thing, is, like, he's speaking so dismissively of the roster and of professional wrestling that, like, he's obviously a heel, but he's being portrayed as the babyface. Oh, he's a babyface. Rick Steiner's a heel. Yeah, no, he's a babyface in... Yeah. When he comes in. Yeah. It's just... He's naturally heelish in the way he addresses yeah. everything. It reminds me, like, because they always try to do this with, like, real-world famous people, whether they're in sports or otherwise. Like, when whichever one of the fucking Pauls it is in WWE, like, they insist he's a babyface. Or remember when Floyd Mayweather came in? Oh, my God. And they tried to book him like a babyface for months? Rey Mysterio's friend, Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. Yeah. But do you know what? Remember that fucking angle where Big Show punched him? Listen, that's a great <laughs> angle. Yeah. Like an all-time great angle that was no way out. 2006? Yeah. 7? 8, I think. Was it 8? Because it's the, it's the year after Ford Field, isn't it? It was 24 they did it. 24, for, so yeah, it would have been like 2008. Um, fucking a, a great angle with Big Show on there, yeah. Floyd Bayweather. Um, yeah. But yes, portraying him as a babyface, fucking zero boys. As soon as he went heel, everyone yeah. was in on it. It was fucking great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like bringing bringing Tank in as a babyface, I'm sure instantly after this they were like really reconsidering what they were gonna do. Um, yeah, like I I'll get into it in a sec. But go on, you you carry on with the segment. So even in spite of how I think they completely miscast Tank here, I think this ends up quite interesting in getting stuff like achieved. So like he's 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 basically calling the entire roster wimps, mm. and he says people in this company don't know anything about hardcore, don't make them laugh. Uh, Rick Steiner comes out and has a couple of words with him, and then those two big bastards just start throwing bombs at each other. And Tank gets hauled off and Rick is shedding after him like to come to Houston and he's going to take care of Sting in the cage and then he's going to take care of Tank Abbott. And I thought like, 
they got to it arseways, but I thought like they created a nice little bit of heat and interest with how this little segment ended. I'm this this one segment has me reconsidering all of my views on Rick Steiner heel. Yeah, because I is it because he's actually a babyface in this segment? No, 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 no. How heelish Tank Abbott is. I actually, I genuinely think this is one of the best pull apart brawls. Because it doesn't go forever. If you watch closely, you can see Steiner protects him on the force punch. Yeah. Which looks pretty fucking great. And then after that, they're just the two of them are just thrown. Yeah. And you can't say for sure whether anything lands, but they're absolutely, the two of them are swinging. Yeah. And I love that as soon as they're pulled apart, Tank Abbott is looking pissed. And yeah. wants to go. Yeah. And he's getting dragged away by like a ton of yeah. security. The smile's been wiped off his face. Yeah. And and when Tank is subdued by security, all of a sudden Rick gets even braver. Yeah. I, I thought this... You know, I, starts baiting him then. Fucking great segment. Yeah, yeah. I think if you had started off and like you're... If Rick Steiner was still actually a babyface and you were planning to make Tank Abbott a heel, I think this is a red hot angle. Yeah. And I don't often say this... Yeah. I absolutely want to watch the Nitro to see the the, the Sting Steiner cage match and how yeah. Tank gets involved. And that, mm. that's the highest praise I can give it. <laughs> you know, WCW at this time, there's a very good chance that he's not even on the show. Oh, he probably turns <laughs> heel in the cage. Fucking look. Yeah. But yeah, um, no, I absolutely I think it was a fucking home run segment. Then we get to see how the horseman turned on Flair. Um, so it was backstage on Nitro and Flair booked DDP and Bam Bam in a tag title match at the pay-per-view. And the horsemen are fuming and they side with Piper later on the show. And this is when a big penny dropped with me about what this week was. And that was, this was four days after Owen Hart died. Fuck. Because they were wearing black armbands. They were. In their match on Nitro. And Benoit was wearing a black armband. And this Nitro, or this this Thunder was on the 27th of May, 1999. And Over the Edge was the 23rd of May. Do you know what? I, I noticed the black armbands and I was like, oh, I wonder who that's for. And... I never twigged in my mind, yeah, and put the two put two two together. Uh, oh I was man, just like, that that I was like, because Rick Rude, they've already Rick Rude was a few weeks ago. Yeah, I was like, who else died? Oh god, and my heart just sank. Oh, and it's one of those where, like, it's historically because obviously in a they they will be doing the the, the tribute match, the tribute yeah. tribute match. I don't feel like that's a thing where I want to do a, like it's historically significant in some ways that they did the match and it's a great fucking match but like I don't think I have any interest in covering it necessarily um, I don't know about you or this isn't something we've actually talked about um, but I just don't feel like I, I that's uh, I think it's one of the most significant matches of that era of 
Amer- North American Pro Wrestling. Yeah. I think it's a phenomenal match for us all. Um, yeah. I think that match goes a long way to moving Chris Benoit to the next level. Yeah. In the fans' eyes. Mm-hmm. I think without that match, Chris Benoit does not move to the finals of the tournament later in the year. Yeah. And obviously, look, I'm not getting into the whole Chris Benoit thing again. Um, it's sad in a way that that match is it's like the it never like happened a, it, because of what happened yeah. with Bema. It yeah, it's it's so it's weird to say tainted. Yes. Because it was already such a sad occasion with Owen. But for like But it, it it's like the WrestleMania twenty moment. I just it just doesn't have it has this weird resonance to it that it didn't before two thousand and seven. I don't want to say the whole thing, oh it has an asterisk next to it. it it's more than that. It it's that has to be such an an important thing for Brett. Mm-hmm. And I, I genuinely, I do mean, I think it's one of the most significant matches in North American wrestling in the late 90s. Yeah. For a number of reasons. And I, I, I'd like to watch it as part of the show, but I absolutely understand why other people wouldn't want us to watch it. Um, maybe let us know what you guys think because I I don't think I would have an interest in doing a Knights of Nitro about it but if people wanted to hear us kind of give our thoughts on the match and Owen maybe we could do it as an addendum to the the thunder that comes out that week that proceeds yeah yeah if people have an appetite for that like i i'm again if, if there's if people out there want that i'm I'm happy to do it but i it's something that because of all that stuff we just talked about i wouldn't necessarily be feeling like i myself would go out of the way to ensure that we covered that do you know what i mean yeah uh, um, totally um yeah, fuck. Oh, Jesus, I can't believe we've reached that point in the timeline. Yeah, yeah. It felt like, do you know, because like when Brett showed up, it felt like we were still a million years away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, it's weird just to think how much time has, has passed on this show um, since we started. Um, changing things, a massive change of face here is uh, for the next match, we have Benoit uh, wrestling DDP. Um, Did you notice oh, the entrance first of all? I was still in the in the haze of okay. the penny dropping on this. So what understandable. Uh, Chris Benoit enters to Dean Malenko's music. Oh, did he? Yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah, he has the you know that kind of mystery bad the mm. that Malenko had pre Four Horsemen. Yeah, yeah, that that really good music. Um, mm. Yeah, um, just fucking broader thoughts. Really good match. Yeah, it was it was really good. Like it 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 started off at a great pace. We almost had an immediate finish from a crossface. Mm-hmm. Uh, big dive right after that, and then Paige takes over. Uh, Benoit, like his characteristic intensity, is brought 
to bear really hard in this match. Like he's laser focused, um, returns to just a solding page. Um, I love uh, Paige does a whip reverse into an elbow in the face that I think looks really good. Um, outside, Benoit is just beaten on a more whips DDP into the steps. Brawling in the rampway as we go to the break. Uh, DDP hits his cool kind of uh, gut wrench, gut buster mm-hmm. uh, thing. Kind of like, almost like a dominator into a gut buster. Um, it's a sneaky good little match. Uh, Benoit starts building to a comeback. He gets... Uh, I like this. He goes to do his three German suplexes, but instead of going suplex, 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 it's suplex pin attempt. DDP kicks out. He remain, He keeps waist control, goes for the second suplex mm-hmm. pin attempt, um, and then it gets broken for the, the third one. Um, he gets mule kicked. A huge sit-out powerbomb from Paige, and you know it was a good sit-out powerbomb when the two of them bounce yeah. a little off the mat. Uh, he signals for the diamond cutter, but uh, Benoit reverses into a backslide and nearly gets him. Great, great spot. And then, like, and this is one thing, one of the things that always got me in Benoit matches I loved is when he does, like, a move or a pin attempt that doesn't go his way and he immediately rolls into a crossface. Yeah. I think just th- staying on him. The was no, it was it? Yeah, it was the the spot early in the match. I always loved that the, somebody throws a lariat and he just fucking falls into the crossface. Yeah, yeah, that was always a uh, fun spot. As soon as he gets the crossface in, Bam Bam comes out to interfere, and then Rick is in hot pursuit. Flair joins the beating, and then we get what I think was like in their heads a better idea than it was executed, which was a diamond cutter greetings from Asbury Park combo. Yeah, I don't think it's something that sticks around. No, because um, it was never given. It, it was like never. Shit. It was never given a name. First of all, that's how you know it doesn't last. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, secondly, yeah, it, it's one of them that the moves just don't work as a tandem. No, um, he'll stand tall, and then we get to our main event, which is Buff Bagwell versus Randy Savage, accompanied by Gorgeous George, Medusa, and Miss Madness. Bit, um, bit of deja vu here. Yes, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nothing, nothing special. I think since uh, we talked about how man carries himself like a star and everything like that, but I think it is quite, it is very apparent since his most recent injury that Savage is washed. Oh, done, yeah. Um, like he, there was still a little bit of juice in him before that last injury. There was, because right when he got injured is when he had just started to side with the Wolfpack. Yeah. And I do think Savage's injury and Hall's personal problems definitely played a part in derailing whatever they had planned for the Wolfpack in 98. Yeah. Um, I think at this point, Savage is still trying to figure out what exactly he can and can't what his body can can yeah can say he's get still, through he's he's still trying to figure out why he doesn't like Kevin Nash <laughs> well that as well but I I do think he, like I think he can see he still he still wants to be the Randy Savage of old but he just can't yeah. and I do think he he and the company do a good job of incorporating the women into the act and kind mm. of using a smoke and mirrors um 
routine to kind of hide just how washed Savage is at this point. Yeah. He uh, he definitely needs them as a crutch. Um, whereas, like, they would have before been, like, the nice kind of, like, extra bonus yeah. to the act. Uh, I don't think he, yeah, I don't think he can put together a match at this point that he can do that doesn't show how badly washed he is without these three. I, I, I do think the the women add to the act and I I, mm-hmm. I don't hate the updated Randy Savage the way a lot of people do. Like, a lot, like you ask people and a lot of people aren't fans of the 1999-2000 Randy Savage. The the I I I I remain bullish that the thing I'm disappointed in about the new Savage is just that he's sticking with the same gear all the time now. It was like <laughs> one of my favorite things about him was how he was changing his gear like to different ridiculously expensive gear yeah. every five minutes. Um, well, look, that that's what we always put him over for was the amount of money he spent on gear had to have been just extortionate because he always had the best NWO gear. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, like right now, it's just, it's just not clicking. Uh, like, mm-hmm. like I say, he came in. With, well, I imagine his fucking knee is clicking a whole bunch. <laughs> he came in with the whole what's the story with him and DDP thing now it's why exactly does he hate Nash it's not for the title because he never really talks about being champion yeah. Um. it's yeah it's just a little bit too confused for my liking mm-hmm. yeah yeah I didn't like this um, I didn't like it last week and I don't like it this week <laughs> Uh. yeah true the women are repeatedly interfering again. Like we said, this is just a staple of the Randy Savage match now. Um, I will say, in a feat of, I think, you know, last week we talked about how Medusa did was doing very little physically and somehow her top was exploding on her. Mm. Uh, whereas in this match, uh, Nora, in full pageant dress, manages to do a drop kick. A missile drop kick off the top, yes. Yeah, <laughs> incredible. Um, and then I, one of the like, what the hell is this even? Uh, moments where we're outside the ring and Savage is out of control again, and Nick Patrick's response is to pick up a chair and wield it at Savage. Yeah, so Savage sets Bagwell up in the tree of woe, and he gets out of the ring and starts pulling on Bagwell's neck. So he's yeah. kind of like bending him in half around the turnbuckle kind of thing. Yeah. Um, this leads to a DQ, which is never actually specifically told as a DQ. Yeah. But Gorgeous George then gets into the ring and starts kind of pushing further on Bagwell's neck from within the ring. Yeah. And like you mm-hmm. say, Nick Patrick's hilarious response is, I'm going to pick up a chair and threaten this madman. Yeah. Um, He's easily disarmed, though. I. Uh, Savage is threatening fans. He's really mad. The security comes in to protect Buff. And this is how we go off the air. And it is pointed out to make it just extra poor taste that they do a Buff Bagwell neck injury angle in the same building yeah. that actually broke his neck. Fucking hell. I hadn't twigged with me. They mentioned it earlier on in the show as well. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, this is where Buff 
Buff Bagwell had his awful injury. And they, they go and do that in the main event. This fucking this company, to me man. is like where you want to do the like the having a triumphant yeah. performance. Let let him be I like fucking I don't know. Does Rick Steiner Sting really need a TV title? No. Could you not just put the TV title on Buff? Even just have him get a big win against so it doesn't even have to be a title. Just have him book the same match where like someone's working on his neck and have him overcome it and win and that's a great like you're trying to get Buff over as a baby face now. That's a fantastic story to tell. Is that like he came back and fought the ghosts of this injury mm-hmm. and he won. And he's the stuff. Um yeah, that's the end of Thunder episode 64. Lee, uh, hit me with your overall thoughts on this show um, and your winners and losers, if you please. I think it's a pretty noteworthy show. Like, a lot happens. Yeah. I think it's one of the, like, it, not in terms of in-ring quality, but just in terms of, like, stuff to talk about. And, you know, in 99, during this car crash TV peak, I think if you're tuning in, you're happy with what you got. Yeah. You know, on a, on a Thursday night. You're happy with the choice you made. I, th- I think we were told a lot of what had happened on Nitro, where obviously things changed by the week at this point. Yeah. Um, I think they caught us up pretty well with most stuff. Like you said, the humor stuff they kind of just told us about once and that was it. Um, mm-hmm. We're getting big, big pro- progression in the Ric Flair, Roddy Piper stuff. The Horsemen are now kind of split in two. We're getting progression in DDP, Bigelow, and potentially Canyon. The Steiners versus Sting and Luger. I can get into that if we get a bit more meat on the bone about what's happening. Yeah. Um. Like there's some good stuff going on, and they are still trying to push newer guys, as you can see with Evan Courageous. For example, um, so they are. I do think they're they're still trying. Yeah. As a company. And I think there's certain elements of the card, like maybe the parts that Nash isn't fucked thinking about. Yeah, possibly. Where you can still see, like, we're still at the stage where there's such an amount of talent still in the company that haven't jumped ship, that if you just let certain people do their thing, they're going to get over. How about this for a description? I think everything from the mid-card down is in pretty, apart from one or two things, pretty good to okay It's at shape. least interesting. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's at least, I'm I'm intrigued to see what's happening. Whereas everything from the mid-card up, like the upper mid-card the main event, is very muddied. Is... Yeah constantly changing there's no strong other than Goldberg who isn't being booked particularly well there's no really strong top baby face I don't think Dash is there like I know he's champion and I did enjoy his title win I still don't think he's that strong baby face that he thinks he is yeah Um. but yeah I think the, the upper card is very muddied and overall, look, I don't think the company is in the shitter yet. But you can absolutely see the beginnings, if not the middle of the beginning, shall we say, yeah. of where things are going. 
the hand is hovering over the flush button. Yes. Um, but ultimately, your winners and losers here. I think Bemo had a very good outing with DDP. It's, mm. it's amazing that every time we have a winner, it seems to involve DDP somehow. Um, mm. That man does not get the credit he deserves for, for just how much he done in WCW. Um, but I think Vampiro, in spite of the loss and a not great match, I think you can absolutely, as we touched on, see the potential in him. And yeah. other than that, I don't think there was any big winners. I don't think there was necessarily a big loser on the show either. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of tells you where where I am in the show. I think it was pretty decent and everything had a purpose. Maybe the Van Hammer IKEA match was the low point of the show, but yeah. I wouldn't necessarily call them losers just for that. It's one of the rare times where I totally take that there's not a, an obvious loser and not in the way that we've had some mm. shows where everyone lost, so there's no standout. But it's one of those, it's one of the rarest sites in nature where there's very few people that I can think of that come out of this thunder in any way damaged. Yeah. Which is, usually you can pick at least Not, two or three Normally people. there's somebody that gets buried or comes in with a bit of expectation that just they have a bad match or something along those lines. I, I just think this was just a competent episode of TV. Yeah, because I can't even say someone like Ikea because like at this point there is nowhere further yeah. for him to fall. Yeah. Do you know, it's like saying like Barry Horowitz had a shocker last week. It's like, I mean, of course Barry Horowitz was going to lose. Like... Um, but yeah, the, uh, the finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borga has seven matches on this show, four clean finishes, two disqualifications and one interference leading directly to a finish. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Days of Thunder. We'll be back on the free feed in two weeks. We will be back behind the paywall at largemanappears.com next week. Go check it out for just five Europeans. You will get uh, what is growing to be oh it's almost 30 uh, exclusive podcast episodes since we started last june uh, plenty more where that came from uh, exclusive posts exclusive audio um live streams all that jazz um anyway uh, from us we shall talk to you very soon uh, stay safe bye bye Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder was produced by Lee Malone and edited by me, Dave Ryan. Keep up to date with the show and find all the ways to listen to us. You can follow us on Twitter at WCW Thunderpod or click the Linktree link in our Twitter bio or in the show notes. I am at the Day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. Days of Thunder is a part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Follow the VOW network anywhere good podcasts are sold for more fine podcasts than you can shake a stick at. Thanks.
Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagne, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today.